give me some of his kisses. Oh, your loving is sweeter than wine. Your fragrance is sweet. Your very name is perfume. That's why the young women love you. Take me along with you. Let's run. <sighs> I picture you, my dearest, as a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Lovely are your cheeks, adorned with ear hoops, your neck with beads. Let's make hoops of gold beaded with silver for you. Look at you, so beautiful, my dearest. Look at you, so beautiful, your eyes are doves. Look at you, so beautiful, my love. Yes, delightful. Yes, our bed is lush and green. Set me as a seal over your heart as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, passionate love unrelenting as the grave. Its darts are darts of fire, divine flame. Rushing waters can't quench love, rivers can't wash it away. If someone gave all his estate in exchange for love, he would be laughed to utter shame. <sighs> Let us pray. God, our heart sighs for you. Our hearts desire to hear a word from you today that might ignite a flame or quench a thirst. And so we invite your spirit to move freely throughout each one of our hearts and minds, and especially through me into those spaces so that your word, your loving word, might be heard this morning. Amen. So if you grew up on Disney, chances were good that you have seen the movie Bambi. And if you've seen Bambi, you'll probably remember this scene. You know, the owl in the video seems like a real curmudgeon, right? Like, hey man, it's springtime, right? It's beautiful outside. Why you gotta harsh my mellow like that? <laughs> but in a way, Mr. Owl is on to something. Love, infatuation, lust. It can really mess you up. When Rich and I were first dating, I would say at least, at least for the first six months or so of dating, I thought I was losing my mind. I'm serious. I couldn't concentrate. 
Everything I did that did not involve Rich was an inconvenience and a barrier until I could see him next. It was an amazing feeling, really. But it also felt it was a little bit irritating. For example, just after we had shared with one another how we felt, you know, that awkward conversation, just after, like five minutes after, I left for a month to Egypt to study Old Testament archaeology. And it was an incredible opportunity to be in Egypt, looking at ancient carvings and buildings and traveling to these amazingly archaic cities. And all I could think about was how I wanted to be in Chicago in January (laughs) with Rich. Not long after Mr. Owl's warning, you begin to see Flower, Thumper, and Bambi fall victim to Twitter patient. And of course, I have to show that. Look at them, so resolute. Twitter-prated, sprung, enamored. When it hits us, it can drive us to the highest of heights and the deepest depths. It can cause us to feel like we can do anything or completely gut our sense of purpose. It will drive us nuts trying to get a piece of it. So this week and over the next few weeks, we'll be digging into this topic that the church has been so notoriously squeamish to talk about in any kind of real and helpful way, desire love, sex, relationships, the stuff that makes your heart thump and maybe your foot too, your stomach twist and your palms sweat. I'll do it to the best of my ability, but I should make a disclaimer before I go forward. Sadly, and maybe surprisingly, I don't know it all. (laughs) And of the things I do know, I don't always do it all that well either. And I'm also straight and I'm female and I'm married and I have a kid. And because of all of those things and all kinds of maybe other less obvious things, my scope is narrow and limited to what I know. As the Apostle Paul puts it, I see but through a mirror dimly. I will do my very best to be aware of the married, hetero lens that I see through. And I welcome your experiences and your feedback to help expand my understanding. Really, I do. So, what is it that drives us nuts? What drives desire? So, per Jovan's request, I thought about starting a slideshow, but then I thought I'd go even sexier. Science. (laughs) I I know Paolo thinks so, the physicist, anyway. Uh, So, dopamine and norepinephrine. These are the chemicals of Twitter patient. Dopamine is the brain chemical of romantic love. It's the chemical that makes you feel great when you are in love. That rush of feeling you get when you see that person's face and think... Dopamine is what makes our lady love songwriter say, your fragrance is sweet, your very name is perfume, I picture you, my dearest, lovely are your cheeks adorned with ear hoops, your neck with beads. It's why our lady love song singer Whitney sang, oh, I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody, with somebody who loves me. Dopamine puts you in the mood and makes you feel good. But you don't want to just be in the mood, right? 
You want to do something about that good feeling. You want to be in the mood with someone in particular. Whitney doesn't want to dance with just anybody, right? She wants to dance with somebody who loves her. That's where norepinephrine comes in. Norepinephrine helps you focus that feel-good feeling onto someone. It leads to focused thought and turns your good feelings into actual behavior. It's a neurotransmitter that shoots the good feelings back and forth, and the faster it goes, the better you feel and the more focused you are. If dopamine is the revving engine, norepinephrine puts the car in gear. It's what leads you to do something about all those intense feelings and take risks, like going up to that person and saying, hey, what's your sign? (laughs) Or speed dating, or reactivating your OkCupid account with an updated photo. And even more than taking action, it helps you focus your energy on one person. Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy, but here's my number. Call me, baby. Dopamine and norepinephrine are the intense, quick-high drugs of love. Maybe you know some folks who just love being in love, who haven't had a relationship that has lasted longer than three or four months because it's not just love or desire they're after, right? It's the excitement of love and desire. Blame it on dopamine and norepinephrine. And no wonder, they make you feel incredible and hopeful and free. They make you brim with hope and possibility. For love is as strong as death, passionate and unrelenting love. Oh, passionate love, unrelenting is the grave. Rushing waters can't quench love. Rivers can't wash it away. You know, the Bible is chock full of examples of machismo male sexual domination and abuse of women's bodies. Just read Judges 19. And while the Bible has been used to serve machismo male sexual domination and the abuse of women's bodies, right here, I keep thinking there's this over here, right here in the middle of the Bible is a lady love songwriter's joyful and hopeful and playful and lusty voice speaking unapologetically about the stirring in her loins and the stickiness of her thoughts, voicing in her words her hopes and dreams and imaginings. It's a miracle, really, that she made it in. But maybe it's not that much of a miracle, really, because I'd say that in these poems of bold and sensual vulnerability, men and women and in-betweeners across space and time have come across a line or two that feels pretty familiar. Rich used to tell me that when he would get in trouble, he had to read the Bible, and so, of course, he'd open the Bible to Song of Songs. It's scripture. The author of Song of Songs is a lusty lady love songwriter and raptured, and she can't help but overflow with hopes and dreams and ecstasies that celebrate a love that travels through her heart and her imagination to find its fullest expression in her body. She is writing with hope and with delight about how her lover and her lover's body has stirred her from the inside out. Because there's a thread that runs through all of these flights of heart and hope regardless of your male or female or something in between, through all of the joy-filled lust and playful sensuality, through all of this that is tied to the center of our souls where our deepest, deepest desire rests, to be known and wanted truly, fully, deeply. And to know and want someone else truly, fully, deeply. It's a deep longing, 
a nakedness and vulnerability that is as much spiritual as it is physical, that is linked to the body but goes beyond the body. Because maybe you've heard that sex and sexuality are a gift from God, and I hope you have heard that at some point along the way, that all of those stirrings and wantings and juices are there on purpose and for a purpose and not exclusively for procreation, but for enjoyment and delight and to share with someone who enjoys and delights in you. There is no shame in wanting to get it on. And because it's a gift from God... (laughs) Because it's a gift from God, this is where we begin to see how our sensual and sexual longings converge with the belief in a transformative, gospel-shaped grace. Did you ever imagine I would make that turn? (laughs) Did you ever imagine that sex and sexuality could help you understand God's grace? But it's true. Understanding the grace of God actually enables us to understand sex and sexuality more fully. And I'm not going to say it's the same as doing Kegel exercises, but understanding God's grace might even might even enhance your sexual experiences. Because here's the thing. Understanding the Christian story of God's grace given through Jesus Christ provides a language and a framework for understanding for what it means to be significant and wanted. We talked about this back in July during our Road Trip Through Romans series, and Tim talked about it, about God's gift of grace, a gift freely given, and waiting to be received. You are wanted. You are wanted. You are deeply desired by God, and not only desired, but loved by God and delighted in by God. God finds joy in you. God loves your carefully crafted body, every crack and crevice and roll, and wants you to explore it and know it come fully alive the way that it was intended. We are worthy of being desired. You are worthy of desire. You were created for delight and joy. And your body, your body, don't be ashamed of it. It can help someone else know delight and joy. Guess what? Someone else's body can help you know delight and joy. It's a beautiful symmetry. Mutual wanting, mutual delight, mutual joy, mutual significance. This is God's gift of sexuality. Our bodies pass on, in their way, God's message of grace. It isn't the same as being in relationship with God, but it is about experiencing the effects of God's message of grace, wanting and being wanted, pleasing and being pleased, knowing and being known. Marvin Gaye was on to something when he talked about sexual healing because in a way, it's true. Your body and your sexual self and how you use it can communicate God's grace in a deeply intimate and powerful and healing way. It's not the same as God's grace, but it can communicate something about God's grace. You hear me? As someone makes their self vulnerable to you, you have the power to communicate to them that they are wanted, that they are significant, that they are enjoyable. You have the power to let them know that they are delighted in and that they 
are amazing to you. And they have that power as well. But because it touches this place in your sense of self, you feel really, really vulnerable. Even in the best of circumstances, sharing your sexual self feels incredibly risky. Our lusty lady love songwriter knows it too, and that's why she says, set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. She's saying, promise me that this means something to you, that you won't violate my vulnerability. Let's be good to one another. Let's be good to one another. Even if the future doesn't pan out the way that we hope or imagine it might, let's honor the power of what we have shared. What I love about this understanding of sex and sexuality through the lens of God's grace is that it also creates space for those who are single or feel called to celibacy. If you fall into either of these categories, it doesn't mean that you cease to be a sexual being. Instead, in some ways, you have an even more difficult task. Your task is to open yourself and your identity first and foremost to God's desire for you. And I know, for those of you who don't feel particularly called to singleness, this feels a little bit like a lame consolation prize. (laughs) But think about this. The more you understand God's grace and how it shapes you, the more prepared you are to communicate it to someone else including the other who, you may, who may one day become your significant other. So I've been talking about sex and sexuality and its most sacred, yes, sacred, holistic forms. The way that it is intended to be experienced and expressed, but the intensity of sexual power can be used in ways that are devastatingly violent and deeply wounding as well. Many of us, many of us know this in one way or another. We'll take some time to talk about the destructive quality of sexual violation in a few weeks. So if you're feeling uncomfortable by this conversation because it's stirring up some grief or some anxiety for you, or because you are hearing me talk about sex and sexuality in a way that you've never experienced, know that I'm not ignoring you. There will be time to dig into how God is present in the aftermath of violation as well. Today, though, I'm lifting up the most vibrant, hopeful form of God's intentions for human sexuality. That is a sexual experience which communicates grace, joy, play, and connection. Dating and sex and love and relationships can feel like murky waters, but they don't have to be fearful or fraught with anxiety. As we embark on the exploration of this complex but incredibly powerful gift Um, of sexuality will follow in the spiritual footsteps of our sister love songwriter. We'll do it with joy and with hope and with freedom and imagination. We'll do it with God's grace, knowing that we are wanted, knowing that we are wanted and loved before we seek to be wanted and loved by another. We'll work to develop a decidedly Christian sexual ethic for our modern era. And to help us along, we'll use these questions as a guide. What do I desire? And what does my partner desire? Why do I desire that? What does God desire? And how do these desires intersect, align, or not? As followers of Jesus and believers in the gift of God's grace, we don't have the option to see ourselves um, or to see someone and think that they are insignificant. That's not an option for us. 
including ourselves. We don't have the option to not be thoughtful about the people we open ourselves to. Because in who we are, and especially in the gift of sexuality, we are embodying and sharing God's core message of grace. You are wanted. You are significant. And you are the source, a source that is worthy of joy. Thanks be to God.